We are busy with a series called Summer Mix, and these days a summer mix is not a tape anymore, right? It is a playlist on your phone. But there used to be days when we would create these mixes of songs and burn it to a CD, and before that we would put them on a tape like the one on the screen. And when you would go on your vacation trip, you would put that CD in with all of your favorites and listen to it. All different musicians, different genres, but all your favorite songs, right? And this is what we're doing this summer. We've got different people bringing the Word of God, different topics, but they're all our favorites. So today, I have the privilege, some of you know him, some of you don't know him, to introduce Tom Lamshe to you. Tom has been a pastor for more than 25 years and he has a true passion for developing leaders. So we also serve as a director for, for professional development in a faith-based NGO where he did, guess what? He developed kingdom-building leaders. And then he got his doctorate, guess in what? Leadership. Oh, you guys are so slow today. In leadership. So um, that's really his passion. He serves currently... Um, on the AGC, our group that we're part of, um, he serves as the regional director for AGC East. So he makes sure that all the pastors on the east side of Canada is taken care of and is developed. And it's my privilege today, Tom, to introduce you to our church. For the, let's, let's welcome him. Come on. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Tom. May God speak through you. Oh, it's good to be in Newmarket. Better to be at Grace in Newmarket and uh, just uh, share some time with some, some friends. We are a part of what's called the AGC. This nice little logo here that's on my shirt. This is not, these are not my initials, right? <laughs> that would be cool if it were the case. But, uh, but together we partner uh, with uh, brother and sister churches across Canada to create a movement of healthy reproducing churches. And you're one of those. I hear good news of what's happening here at, uh, at Grace, and it's very nice just to come and be a part of it, be sort of enveloped in the, uh, the community here and to hear what God has been doing, and to be a part of the uh, mix, the summer mix. Now, I'm not going to sing, uh, so if that's what you thought this was about, uh, some people are applauding. They know, they, they've heard me sing, um, but uh, it's just good to be here to share and to, to try to listen in on what God would have us to know as we navigate life in answer to this question, what to do when you don't know what to do? What to do when you don't know what to do? The journey of life really is a journey into the unknown, right? In every stage and every chapter of life, there are decisions to be made and there are confusions that abound. It's, it, it's just the nature of life. So think back at some of the stages of your life and the stages that we go through, you know, we, we start off very young in life, we're, we're children, and life is kind of carefree, it's really all about us at that moment, but we don't know that it's about us at that moment, and all of these, these terrible decisions are being made for us, like, no, you can't have ice cream for supper, right? Like, like these decisions are being forced on you as you go through life, and you don't know why, you don't know the rationale for some of those things. And so you would think you'd progress into the next chapter of life and there would be less confusions. And, but you become an adolescent and you begin to realize that, well, yeah, life is still all about me and I am still very self-centered and all, 
But all of these people around me, whether it's school teachers, parents, youth pastors or whatever, are telling me to do things, making me decide things that go against all of my impulses. Life is just confusing. It's difficult to know how to make those choices. You grow up a little bit, you're a young adult, and then there are things like, well, now you've got to choose school or job or whatever. So how do, you, how do you decide in the context where you really don't know what to do, where there's too many options or, and you become stymied and you don't know how to decide? What are the principles to decide when you don't know what to do? Uh, eventually, maybe you be, get married and then you're trying to bring together uh, two different value systems completely as well as communication styles and conflict styles and all the rest of that, and those who are married know what I'm talking about, right? How do you do that? Like, what, how do you decide when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do, even at that stage? You become parents, you know? Some people are blessed with parents, either by they've, they've created another human being or they chose another human being and become parents, and I don't know about you, but how do you decide how to raise children. That's, that's tough. Are you ever really able to know? Next stage of life might be where now you are parenting your parents. We call that the sandwich generation, right? Where you're parenting up and down. And so how do you cherish parents? Well, they are slowly in the process of reverting to childlikeness themselves. What do you do when you don't know what to do? How do you decide? Um, then you become grandparents by the grace of God. That's a chapter I'm in. But how do I know when to keep my nose out of it? <laughs> you, you can tell I've had some experience at failure when I ask, when I say that, right? I mean, how do you, like... At every stage of life, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're walking to, you're, you're actually walking the, a journey into the unknown of things to decide. How do you decide? What do you do when you don't know what to do? I don't know what your circumstances are at the moment. Maybe you're one of the ones that are getting married this year, and so you look at that with great enthusiasm and joy and a measure of fear. How will I do? How will I know what to do that is right? Or maybe, maybe some less than encouraging health news, right? What do I do in a situation like this? Uh, maybe it's, you know, you're closing in on retirement. Maybe that's sort of the chapter of life that you're imagining. And can I, will I be able to, uh, will I be ready to? You know, what do you do when... When you don't know what to do, I led a, um, a leadership training, a strategic training uh, conference uh, for a European mission agency, and it was all of Europe together. And in order to figure out what are some of the things we should be thinking about in terms of strategic plan, we got four whiteboards across the front, and on one whiteboard we asked the question, what is right, what is wrong, what is missing, what is confusing? Guess which whiteboard had the most material on it? What is confusing? That's the nature of life. Does God have any principles that might help us then 
when we walk into the unknown. I submit to you that the Mark chapter 13, which is in the scriptures, it's the second gospel or the second book of the New Testament. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus and his disciples were in a little bit of this headspace. They're actually wondering and worrying about the future. What, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? And, and what's, how do I deal with that? And so as Jesus is walking along, as is typical of him, he wants to teach some lessons. And when, what he wants to help them to understand now is how do you deal with life when you don't know what to do? What are those principles? And so in Mark chapter 13, and if you have a scriptures, go to that. We'll be putting this on screen as well. But in Mark chapter 13, it would appear that Jesus is showing us what to prioritize when life is confusing. What to prioritize when life is confusing. And he predicts the future for these disciples. Now, let me give you context, and we're going to read it. But let me give you a little bit more context. A confusing time was about to confront the disciples. The next chapter of life was the chapter of life that followed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had given their life to their Savior. They had given their life to this rabbi, this trainer, this God who is about to be killed. We're in the week between the, tri the, uh, the triumphal entry and Jesus' resurrection, and so he speaks to them about what's going to happen after. So he's giving them some heads up as to what to do when you don't know what to do. Now, every, his every uh, commentator and historian would tell us that all of the things I'm about to read for you from Mark chapter 13 actually took place in history. They actually took place between the moment Jesus spoke it and when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And so Jesus actually is talking about actual events that as we look back now, we can see the fulfillment of those. Jesus was talking to them as if it was future. We have this stunning ability to stand here and look and see what actually happened, but how did those principles play out, right? Fabulous position for us to be in to see the principles he was trying to guide them into as they faced a rather confusing time. He wants to answer this question, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Mark chapter 13, verse 1, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied, not one stone here will be left on another Every one will be thrown down. Then as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. 
and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what to say, just whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there for a second. All of these things that he predicts, which actually sound an awful lot like today, <laughs> all of these things that he speaks of, we can affirm actually did take place in the years immediately following Jesus' resurrection. They were walking into an unknown. How was he helping them to walk into the unknown? How would he help us to walk into our unknown? Three principles, I think, that we can pull out of this text here this morning, and I trust that the Spirit of the Lord would just sort of allow not just our ears but our hearts to really grasp uh, here today. Very simple, really. The first one is live your today. The disciples are rather worried about tomorrow. Quite obvious by the way they're asking the questions. Uh, you know, what sign will you show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? All of those things that Jesus spoke of, pretty disarming uh, to them. And they began to put their focus on the future and their worry and their emphasis on what was about to come. So they asked the question, what sign that all of these things will be, and Jesus answered, knowing their hearts, and said, do not worry beforehand. You see, he knew what was going on in their heart. What was going on in their heart was a worry. Do not worry beforehand. In verse 11, he says, about what even to say, just whatever is given to you at the time. He's saying, listen, you live your today. You do not have tomorrow. You do not know tomorrow. Do not worry ahead of time. At the time you need the help, the help will be there. Live your today, even if you're worried about tomorrow. So much of tomorrow, so many of the decisions that we have to face are unknowable. They are confusing, but God is in your tomorrow. He will give you what is right when it is right. Do not worry beforehand. Even what to say, you'll be given. You'll be given the help you need when you need I've often told people, don't pull tomorrow's clouds over today's sunshine. We do that when we worry. We rob today of the beauty that it can be by worrying about tomorrow or your worry wart. The scripture would say, your job is to pay attention to today. Do not worry beforehand. I'll give you the things that you need when it's right. I wonder if sometimes this is why... God in his wisdom so oftentimes tells us in the scripture to wait. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46, 10. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like this and I'm not good at it. And I'm not sure if the one precedes the other or not. I don't know if I... I, I'm not good at it, therefore I don't like it, or I don't like it, and therefore I'm not good at it. it but either way, either way, it doesn't really matter. It's not a native skill to most of us humans to wait, to not fuss about tomorrow beforehand. It's not natural for us. And so I think so many times the Lord had to sort of hound us, do a search on the word wait in the scriptures and find it many, many times in many contexts, and most of it is instructions for you. Wait on the Lord. 
take courage, wait on the Lord. I remember with my uh, dear mother-in-law taking her to uh, uh, the eye specialist for her uh, degrading eyes. And uh, so we'd set an appointment uh, for one o'clock Wednesday. It was the last Wednesday of the month of uh, that month. And so we got there dutifully quite early and sat there and waited and one o'clock passed and then 1.15 passed and then 1.30 passed and 1.45 passed. You know, the first half hour, it's sort of regular routine. Those of you who are medical doctors know the pressures of your schedule and you know that waiting is just part of it, right? It's just part of it. But once you get an hour into it, you know, the, the weight in me started losing it. And I, and I went to the front desk and said, listen, uh, you know, we had an appointment at 1 o'clock. Is, are we at the right day, the right time? And I said, no, no, you're right. It was 1 o'clock on Wednesday, last Wednesday of the month. But the doctor has a standing meeting at 1 o'clock on the last Wednesday of every month. Okay. Now, I don't know about your reactions. We all have a different personality, and we're all unique, but... I went down, went back to sit beside mom, seething with anger, but controlling it for the sake of my dear mother-in-law, right? But just frustrated and angry and bitter. I think, you know, you knowingly double-booked us and you knowingly took this 90-some-odd-year-old lady and made her wait. And now I'm frustrated as I'll get out. And I sat there and every now and then, there's, there's a crack where the Holy Spirit can speak into your heart, right? And there was just the thinnest of crack in that moment in my heart. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, not in any verbal way, but Tom, with all your anger there about waiting, what does that tell you about how important you think you are? That's a searing question. <laughs> I thought to myself, yeah, Lord, if all you're asking me to do is wait, even over somebody's double booking, if I need to learn what it means to wait, then teach me to wait. Because I do worry beforehand. I'm not good at enjoying today's sunshine. I'm better at pulling tomorrow's clouds over today's sunshine. And from the heart of a loving father, he says, wait, take courage, wait. In our society, time is more valuable than money. Time is really much more a currency than money is. If waiting feels like we're being robbed of something somehow or other. But if God is sovereign, then it is his grace to ask us to wait, even in the unknown. It's his sovereignty to wait when we don't know what to do. In the meantime, you live your today. You live your today. Don't worry beforehand, for God is in your future, and he will give you what is right, when it is right. Live your today. Second principle I think that we can pull from this is uh, that difficulties deliver opportunities. We don't normally look at difficulties as this way. We look at difficulties as obstacles along the way, problems to avoid, hop over or whatever, 
we don't oftentimes look at the fact that actually it's an opportunity. This difficulty is an opportunity. In verse 9, he says, that This will be your opportunity to tell them about me. All of these things that are about to happen is simply an opportunity that God is manufacturing so that in some way through the difficulty, he gets a voice. <laughs> this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. Romans uh, 5 is instructive, and if you're taking notes, this is Romans uh, 5, and just a few verses from the beginning, uh, verses uh, 3 to 3 and 4. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Okay, this doesn't make sense, right? Natively, humanly speaking, right? So why would we do that? Why would then the scriptures God himself suggest to us that suffering, that difficulties, actually is something to take pleasure in, right? Thumbs up. Well, here's the reason. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces. What does it produce? It produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. The difficulties then that we face as we walk into our unknowns are not there just to rip us off, right? They're actually there to develop something within us that we actually couldn't have had in maybe any other way. I remember ministering to a couple whose name was Dave and Andy. Andy stands for Andrea. But Dave and Andy served in Aswan, Egypt, uh, called by God to go for a number of years, and there they were serving until uh, one day the government forced them to leave. Now, it's hard for us to understand how, how hard it is to imagine that when God has called you to a place and that place says, no, kick you out. I mean, it's hard, like, is God in control at all? Like, can he not control a human government or another religion? Huh? Or maybe I didn't hear God. Maybe the problem is me, and, I'm, and I just don't have any kind of way to really understand God. And you can only imagine the confusion of being called to serve and being kicked out. And so back to Canada, they came in that moment, and they had some family in Owen Sound, and there they sat and resided, and there they grieved. And then there, there they pondered their problems, and there they pondered their theology, and there they pondered their confusion. They waited, and they waited, and they waited, and as it turned out, the waiting, by very nature, produced perseverance. And by its very nature, that perseverance produced character. And eventually, that, that character produced hope. It turns out God didn't need them in Egypt after all. Didn't even want them there in Egypt after all. They came home and the Middle East came to them. Even in this little place called Owen Sound. A gathering of refugees, more than the people they could have, were serving back in Egypt, were gathering together, wondering about God. And there they were, involved in a refugee ministry that eclipsed anything they could have done in a closed environment like they come from. See, the government, other man-made religion, 
It was not going to stop God. It just wasn't going to stop God. But what God needed was some people of character in another place. And so he said, if you'll wait, not worry beforehand, but if you'll wait, I'll make you something and I'll take you someplace, which eclipses your imagination. See, the difficulties deliver opportunity. What's your confusing difficulty that you face even today? Like right now, what's your difficulty that you're facing? Somehow or other in that difficulty, God is saying, I can make something out of you, and I intend to make something out of you. Suffering, perseverance, character, hope. What's interesting, there's an interesting addition to that concept here, this principle here in verse 10. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. We oftentimes take that out of context and preach it, and sometimes we preach it well, and it's a good thing. But it's an interesting application here for what God is saying here is when I'm creating a person of character, I'm creating a person capable of expressing and modeling my gospel. The gospel will be preached to all nations, and it's going to be preached out of people who suffer. Perseverance. Character hope. You see, the gospel will be preached to all nations, and it's through you. That's the application of what God is doing when he delivers to you the confusions of your life. He's making something out of you that he might not have been able to make in any other way, and making you something you couldn't become in any other way. God is so coordinating all the eventualities of our lives so that it allows a Optimum opportunities to get his gospel out. That's pretty cool, don't you think? Isn't it great that what God is doing in the confusions and the difficulties of our lives is making something of us for a way bigger purpose than our little discomforts? Principle number three. Know his word. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, first of all, recognize you live your today. God will be show up when God needs to show up. And then you remember that difficulties deliver opportunities. There's somehow an opportunity in here to become a kind of person that you had hoped to become anyways. And then lastly, know his word. Now you say to yourself, boy, that's what every preacher eventually says. How do you get that out of this, right? Okay, well, the way I got that out of this is because I wasn't actually able to read for you the whole story of Mark chapter 13. I just finished at verse 11 or whenever I finished it and got to that point. But Jesus carries on in the story and there's so much more gold to be mined in it that we can't get into it. But when he comes to the end of the story that he's telling them, the lessons he's trying to communicate to them. When he comes to the end of the lessons he's communicating in this very context, here's what he says in verse 31. Same context, same chapter, same people. Conclusion, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You become a student of this. In this, 
you'll find the stability that you need. Not everything in life is unstable. Not everything in life is confusing. Not everything in life is unknown. Our feelings of insecurity about our lives are not the only thing we have and oftentimes aren't even accurate. There are some absolute knowns upon which to make a life, upon which to enter into the unknowns no matter what the stage of life you happen to be in, no matter what the circumstances. There are some knowns, some things to base your life, your feelings, your plans. Jesus says heaven and earth could even pass away as if that could happen, but not my word. You have a stability that's beyond your unknown. The question that you want to ask yourself about this as you entrust your faith to that is, is this a good document? In other words, is this God's word? No, no sense in following it if it isn't, right? So is this a good document, can we, can we with a sense of confidence understand that the scriptures that we have is that which God wanted us to have along the way? Let me try to convince you of that by, by this little train of thought here. You've all heard of Plato's philosophy, right? We have all kinds of books about Plato's philosophies, seminary courses, doctorates on Plato and we, we discuss it and we think it through at an academic level. We think we know what Plato had to say in all his philosophies. No one ever doubts that we don't know his thoughts. We speak definitively about what we know to be true of what he thought. The problem is we only have a couple of copies of his writings and none of them are originals. We have very limited resources upon which to believe we actually know what he thought. The same is true of Augustine, uh, also Josephus, the first century historian. In all these cases, we speak definitively as if we know what they thought, but we have only a couple of copies of their writings, and none of them are original. And then we come to the scriptures. Then we come to that book that's in your smartphone or in your hand. And for the New Testament alone, dear friends, we have 5,000 Greek manuscripts, 8,000 Latin manuscripts. We have 1,000 other language manuscripts and thousands of independent quotes from the scriptures and other writings, and all of which, all of which date within the first three centuries of Christ. There is no better attested document in all of antiquity than the Bible you hold in your hand. Old Testament, historically, the Old Testament uh, scholars uh, questioned the Old Testament. How, how accurate can it be that we got it over that even further back in time, right? Especially the book of Isaiah, which was, has been questioned by uh, so-called scholars for many, many years. The reason that Isaiah has been questioned for so many years is that it, it has so many accurate predictions about Jesus that there's no way it could have been written until after Jesus. And that's why they're so accurate, right? So, so that's the thought. And it was written by multiple authors, not just one. And 
because it's just so accurate. So you can't believe that it's... And then one day in 1947, a young Bedouin boy was throwing rocks into some caves, and normally the rock would go thump. This time he threw it in and went Something different was in there, and he crawled up into the cave and found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls is an entire copy of the book of Isaiah that predates Jesus. Here's my point. My point is this. You do not need to question the veracity of the Scriptures. You do not need to question the veracity of the Scriptures. The Bible is the best attested document in all of history, and it is a stable guide for when life is confusing. What do you do when you don't know what to do? The principles that Jesus seems to be helping these disciples with are these. Live your today. Do not worry beforehand. I'll show up when you need me. <laughs> Difficulties deliver opportunities. It, del it, it delivers character so that God can do the work of God in and through you. Even all nations will hear and know his word because it's your stability when everything else isn't. A, a small factory stopped producing their widgets because their machine broke down. None of the internal experts could figure out how to fix this piece of machinery that would get them back and running and back productive. And the, uh, the owner of the company did their best to try to get this thing together and try to use all the wisdom that they had in-house and eventually they decided there's no way they could do this. It wasn't working. We'll have to bring in an outside expert and so they called an outside expert who came in and snooped around a little bit this big machine and, and eventually went to a certain spot and took out a hammer and he just tapped it. Ooh. The thing came right back up to life again, started producing all of the widgets, and everything was functioning again. The expert uh, submitted his bill for $100, to which the, uh, the owner of the company was livid. How could you charge us 100 bucks for doing this? I want an itemized bill. So he itemized the bill, and the bill came back for $100. Uh, $1 for tapping the machine. $99 for knowing where to tap it. Okay, listen, our God is in heaven as the creator of all things. He knows how to tap us. He knows that which is right. And he asks us to do three simple things when we don't know what to do. Live today, not tomorrow. Recognize those difficulties are there for your help and your assistance and his assistance. And know his word because not everything in life is unstable. Father God, seal these truths to our hearts. It is so hard and you know how hard it is when we face the confusions of our lives. And you know how difficult it is for us to entrust ourselves to you. Be gracious to us, patient with us. We don't wait well. Teach us these lessons, Lord, that we would be able to know 
how to live through the days of our lives till the day that we come to you and it all makes sense and there is no unknowns and there is no confusions a place where there is no night do this for our good but for your glory in jesus name